0: I have had some time away. You know, I've had actually some people say, how was your four weeks of vacation? And I thought, really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I haven't spoken in four weeks, but just for the record, I've had three days of vacation. Okay. There's three days during that time away. Uh, and what uh, we had, a, I was involved in a uh, Mission conference and board meeting, and that was exciting. Susan and I did have a few days away. But the big reason for taking some time off uh, and the ones who stepped in and did the teaching, didn't they do a wonderful job? Aren't you grateful? I tell you, our staff here, thank God, uh, just do a tremendous job. I'm so grateful for them. But uh, I was away and uh, most of it is about preparation, looking forward. And thinking and planning and praying. And so I thought I would uh, share just maybe a little bit of update with you uh, about uh, some of those things as we see ourselves looking forward. So I do this for myself and also on behalf of pastors and the staff that I've shared most of this with. First of all, is a, a time away of just personal reflection. A little bit of time to look back on the year and the years. What a year last year was. Uh, About 160 of us going to plant the new church, Emmanuel Church, and I want to tell you, I was there a couple weeks ago on Sunday morning. God is doing great things, as two of our pastors, Jared and Derek, are leading that, and uh, this large group from our congregation went away one year ago and started that. Uh, God is doing some exciting things, so we were there uh, to be a part of that. Uh, Also with their moving, a lot of key leaders in many areas, especially children's ministry, a lot of key leaders. But wow, have we seen God provide and raise up and grateful. Steve's leadership's been tremendous coming along after that launch, and we're very, very grateful. And so it's been exciting, and I know many of you are praying to be in part in that ministry uh, just for me personally, you know, I'm coming up uh, this December, 31 years that I've been here, 31 years. And I look at, I, I say, it's not possible. I look at the calendar, I say, still not possible. And then I look in the mirror and I say, oh, yeah, it's been 31 <laughs> years. I know <laughs> Uh But they've been blessed. But it, I want you to know that during this time away, it was interesting, kind of surprising um, I, the Lord uh, brought something across my path, which was uh, being approached about an opportunity for another ministry leadership position was not in pastorate, but another significant ministry leadership did not see that coming it surprised me. Uh, But Susan and I went to time of prayer and fasting about that and thinking about it, and uh, in many ways, yes, it was exciting to think about the implications, but as came away, Susan and I, absolutely, after prayer and seeking the Lord, that this is where he has us, this is where we belong, we're excited to be here. The years move ahead, but very, very, very thankful to have the privilege of serving here with you all. So we're looking forward to that. But that was a that was an interesting thing that happened uh, during the time of way. So I thought I'd just be a little bit transparent, share that with you as well. Also, I mentioned to you about a book that I've been uh, I I thought about writing, and uh, now I should have thought more about before I. About writing that, okay, and uh, it is in the process of being completed. The editing has happened. I want to say a special thanks to Lisa Stilwell, uh, who's done so much work in the editing and getting this published, it's just wonderful. Uh, and uh, it will be available in about three weeks uh, here. Uh, but I want to tell you an amazing story about it a God story. Uh, in three weeks, Susan and I have the opportunity to be doing some teaching in Romania with our partners over there. By about 80 or 90 churches will be coming together, and so I wanted to teach this material. Felt led to teach this material while I was there, uh, and uh, so talked with Lisa. We talked with Eugene Groza, and believe it or not, in about two week period of time, he pulled together a team over there, and they translated this book into Romanian. Okay, sent it back over here. Lisa worked on it. And it's- it's actually being published in Romanian before it's published in English. I don't know what that's all like. So, you know, that's my life. It's always been weird like that, you know, and so, so that's happening. But in about, it's called In His Image, and in about uh, three weeks uh, or four, third third week of September, or so that that will be available, and I look forward to sharing that in Romania. And also, Scott had mentioned about the central. Uh, American uh, missionaries and Mexico and the Caribbean and in October have an opportunity to be there with them and teach this material as well. So I'm really grateful for that. Um, this summer we've had our focus on reformation. This is the 500th year of the reformation. So we've had a summer reformation And I hope it's been a blessing to you, these 10 weeks that we took, looking at the five solas, the five alones of the great work of Reformation. God used these truths to transform Christianity uh, 500 years ago, and it resounds to this day as we focused about grace alone and faith alone, Christ alone, Scripture alone, to the glory of God alone. And I was blessed to be a part of that and hear the men as they were sharing. But I want you to notice inside uh, your bulletin, there's an insert there, a really unique insert that Joe has prepared for us, our pastor of adults, that reminds us of something. I want you to read this. Uh, It reminds us of what the Dutch pastor did say, that the Reformed church is always reforming, always reforming. That means that we are going through a process, ongoing process of reformation, that God is always reforming us back to the image of Christ and aligning us with Scripture. And so, as we think about that, we want to continue going now into the fall, beginning next Sunday, on this focus on reformation. But here's what I'd like us to do. Beginning next Sunday morning, we're going to start focusing on a personal reformation. A personal reformation. Because, you see, what we can think about the reformation is that it's historical. It's something that happened in the past. But the Lord wants us to experience personal reformation. What I want us to do is just go through uh, several encounters that are recorded in the gospel where Jesus realigned his disciples so that they would see things as he saw them. They would value things as he valued them. They would have a worldview that was his worldview. And so we're going to do a journey beginning next Sunday and take us through November 20th, Lord willing, on a personal reformation. But then also, we're going to focus this fall on a West Park Reformation. A West Park Reformation. Yes, we are a church that affirms those scriptures that we've talked about, those doctrines. By God's grace, we are and we want to continue to be an orthodox church. But what a church must do is constantly examine ourselves to make sure we are aligned on the New Testament principles for the church. A church can be doctrinally orthodox and yet drift away from biblical practices. You see, the Bible not only tells us what we're to believe as a church, but it also tells us how we're to live and how we are to carry out ministry. And so as pastors, we feel strongly that we need to do this. And so what we're going to do this fall, and I believe it'll continue as a part of the Uh, The flow of our church is we're going to set aside the last Sunday night of every month, the last Sunday night of every month, beginning this August 27th. And we're going to call our church to an evening worship, a family gathering, a family gathering. These are not business meetings. I want you to know they're not business meetings. They are worship services about family matters, about us as a church. And we are going to focus on what I would call three I words. Three I words that I think are going to help us greatly here at West Park. Number one, focus on information. Information. What do we need to know? We want to be more transparent. We want to have a culture of transparency here. What's going on? What's taking place? What's the vision? And so we'll have an opportunity to share information with our church family in a more uh, slower pace, a more uh, a more uh, informal atmosphere, if you will. Secondly, inspiration. We need to hear God's stories of what God is doing uh, in our church, through our church, in people's lives as individuals. Uh, God's stories from in the field. God's stories. He's alive. He's working, and so we want to encourage each other and inspiration. And then we need to call our church to greater intercession. Greater intercession. Prayer. Prayer for our work. Pray for our community. Praying for our country. Without him, Jesus said, we can do what? Nothing. We can do nothing. And so these, I think, are going to be very, very helpful for us as a church. And I'm looking forward to those. And again, set aside those Sunday evenings. What we're doing here is the Sunday that we have communion as a church family on Sunday morning, the last Sunday, then that night we'll have a family gathering. And then looking into the fall and looking beyond, I wanted to share some things with you, uh, again, just pastoral chat here, of where we're looking beyond this fall. And this has come out of discussions our pastors have had Deacons have been involved in this, staff members, many people. Uh, I want you to know we're looking ahead and calling ourselves to consider what's the 2020 vision that the Lord has for us? The 2020 vision. You know, before we know it, it's going to be 2020. Do you believe that? But that'll be here so quick quickly. How, far, how long ago does 2014 seem to you? Like that. 2020 will be here. And I like the way to use 2020 as a way for us to get real clear about his mission. The Lord's mission is to be our vision. We want to have clarity on his mission. And so I want us to really discuss this fall and going forward, what is it the Lord is calling us to do as a church over these next three years So that we can accomplish what He's called us to do, and that is to make disciples. Make disciples, more disciples, better disciples. That's what the Lord wants in this earth. He wants more disciples and better disciples. He wants us to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. He wants us to go deeper in the Word and in knowledge of Him, and He wants more people to know his son, Jesus Christ. More disciples, better disciples. And so we're going to talk about how might we be involved in that that mission, our vision. The specific focus of that is something I want to share with you. You know, if you've been here for a few years, that the Lord led us as a church family to see our community with a fresh set of eyes. What what can happen to a church over a period of time is this, especially in the suburbs, you drive in, you drive out, we gather here, we drive out, and we have a wonderful time of worship, and yes, we wanna be a loving people, and we're actually looking to the world. We're sending out missionaries to the nations, the people groups. We're, We're taking resources and sending out resources to the world, but if we're not careful, guess what? We look right past our front door, don't we? What does the Bible say that Jesus told us about the sharing of the message of the gospel? Begin in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. We've heard this morning from Scott and Nikki, from the uttermost parts of the earth, but, friends, I want to tell you something, never forget it. Missions is always local. It's always accomplished locally, whether it's in Santiago, Chile, or it's right here in Knoxville, Tennessee, it's local. And we have to make sure that we give more to our community than traffic jams on Sunday morning. Two miles from where you're sitting in any direction, two miles. 40,000 people, 81% of those 40,000 have no connection with the church whatsoever. You think Knoxville's the buckle, the Bible belt? That is a bunch of baloney. Don't believe that anymore. We are an unchurched city. We got all kinds of buildings, most of them people like BBs rattling around in a boxcar, empty. We need to reach the people that God has right around us. And we have to have fresh eyes. So we were called to what we called envision, to, to look at our community around us, our Jerusalem. We called it, remember, Cedarbrook. <laughs> Cedar Bluff, Middlebrook, just kind of where we are. How can we really minister to our parish and so God led us to these five initiatives. And let me remind you of what they are. When God has just done great things, but now we need to go beyond Envision and go to Envision 2.0. All right? Mercy Ministries was one of our strategic gospel initiatives. We called the church to evaluation of that. And out of that came the Bread of Life Ministry, the Furniture Ministry, the Benevolence Ministries, in varieties of ways And how God is using them. But friends listen. We we have to understand. That meeting felt needs. And real needs. Physical needs. Is a way that we also share. The good news of Jesus Christ. The gospel is social. It's not a social gospel. But the gospel is social. We reach people. Touch them in their need. And then let them know about the greatest need. And how Jesus Christ can fill that. Mercy ministries, the counseling ministry. God is so blessed that, but we're just scratching the surface. People that are confused and hurting and depressed and lonely, and they need answers. Uh, they, They need the great physician to minister his balm to their souls. Real biblical counseling, and a lot of times that's, Good old evangelism. They need to know Jesus. And Jesus Jesus helps us with a lot of our problems, doesn't he? Then we had the families at risk. Families at risk. We we recognize that there are families that are have special situations. Maybe it's the special needs of their children and developmental disabilities. And we started his abilities ministry. We have about 40 uh, young people, families involved being ministered to that by that. We we partnered with the Boys Club Girls Club for witness. We now have five days a week from 2.30 until 6 o'clock, 150 boys and girls back in our other buildings. You want to know why they're getting wear and tear? Because they're being used for ministry. And I like that. Yeah, I'd rather see that than crystal clear, spotless, fresh rooms that aren't being used for the Lord, right? Thank you, okay, thank you. Now, now you remember that on Sunday morning when your ABF looks like it's been trashed, okay? I want you to know that. That, That's the way it works. And um, parents stay out. We have 140 children being ministered to. Every, every morning, it's amazing. International friends. God's called us to the nations. The nations at our doorstep. Did, I've asked you, do you know when we started looking, when I started actually looking into our community, I thought I knew the community in which I pastored for over 20 years. But I was clueless in some ways. You know that Cedar Bluff Middle School and Elementary is the most diverse school and schools of all the system in Knox, Knox County. 26 different nations represented in the student body over there. 26 different nations. We've got 27 or 28 involved in our international friends, ESL ministry. The nations are at our doorstep. And folks, I want you to know, I understand in a political environment when we're hearing about borders and the need for borders, I understand that. And, I, and enter into that in, in a deep way. But I want you to know, you cannot put a border around the compassionate love of Jesus Christ. Amen. People are made in his image. And they are deserving of his love, our love. And we must reach them. And then when we did Envision a few years ago, I said it would take a few years before we knew how to accomplish this last one, missional campus. How do we develop this campus? And we said we're gonna start with using the buildings that we have. And I talked about no sacred spaces, only sacred purposes. There's not a sacred space on on this campus. These are just brick and mortar. The only thing that's sacred is the sacred purposes that are carried out here. And so we're using these buildings. Man, are we using them. But we need to now think about what do we need to do in order to have facilities in the campus development to do even a better job of ministering to our community, West Park and our community around us, Cedar Brook. And so we're going to be coming to you uh, beginning this fall and then going forward thinking about what do we need to do here with some expansion. Quite frankly, I believe after all these years of developing various kinds of things and God giving us the property and developing the property and the roads and the hub and planning the church and everything, I, I all my heart, believe it's time for us to uh, move out of this space, reclaim this space for various classrooms and things like that, and for us to build a building where we can worship together on Sunday morning. I, I really believe that. I do believe that. I'm not talking about building some big cathedral, something like that. But there is something when everybody gathers, when the whole body gathers. And I've experienced that, and you have. I've been here almost 31 years as pastor, and for all but four of those 31 years, I've been in multiple services. <laughs> 15 years, three services. So you've gotten your money's worth. I want you to know that. <laughs> but I do know that when the body gathers as one body, there is a unique and powerful uniting of the people of God for who they are. And I'm going to ask that we seriously consider that going forward and so how we can reclaim what we currently have for other purposes and think about the need that we have of being gathered as the people of God. Well, that's my pastoral chat. Now I have 11 minutes to preach just a little, okay? Okay. Don't anybody get nervous. Ushers, if you could block the doors, I'd appreciate (laughs) that. Have the ushers stand there. and They have an offering plate. If you give, you can go. All right. (laughs) If you don't give, you can't go. All right. Second Kings. Let me just give you this, these thoughts. I, I want to give you, it's not an exposition, certainly. I'll try to begin that, Lord willing, next Sunday, but just an exhortation. Please, 2 Kings chapter 6. And I think you'll be encouraged by this. 2 Kings chapter 6, beginning at verse 8. This is a story here of when Israel was invaded by the Syrians and... Elisha the great prophet was by the power of God informing the king of Israel what the Syrians were doing. And here's what happened. 2 Kings chapter 6 verse 8 page 312 if you'd like to use that bible provided. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servant, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God, that's Elisha, the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God told him. Thus, he used to warn him so that he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of the Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, none, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. (laughs) And he said, go and see where he is that I may send and seize him. It was told him, behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent there horses and chariots, a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God, his name's Gehazi, when Gehazi rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? And he said, Do not be afraid. For those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. I had a delightful visit this week with a man 91 years young. And he's in our Life at West Park membership class right now. Name's Dick. He grew up during the Depression and he told me how he had just enrolled in 1944 in Georgetown University in Washington. He'd only been there a week or two and he got drafted. And because the war was so... Severe in Europe, he only went through a semblance of real boot camp training and just a few weeks he found himself in the center of the Battle of the Bulge. The most destructive and deadly battle the United States of America has ever been involved in in its entire history. Even greater than D-Day. And he shared what he experienced as an 18-year-old. Then he stayed after the war there and served for a couple of years. He came back and uh, God blessed him meeting a Knoxville girl up at Georgetown University. Got married. He served in government service for 27 years. Then he retired serving churches, serving on mission trips. Now he's living with his son and da- his uh, daughter-in-law here who are part of West Park how we're honored to have a man like that become part of our church, right? I told him, I got to introduce you to Henry Ford. (laughs) Henry Ford's 90, and he set the record for the oldest new member just a few weeks ago. Now, Dick's going to break it, so I've got to get them. (laughs) But three of my favorite military quotes are from the Battle of the Bulge, three of them. Two of them are from the commanding general of the 101st Airborne, General McAuliffe, when the Americans were surrounded at the city of Bastion. The acting commander of the German army sent a request for surrender to General McAuliffe. And he sent back his response, it's famous, to the commanding general of the German forces. Nuts. (laughs) That was his answer, nuts. I don't think it translated very well, but (laughs) kind of got the idea. You know what you can do with that, okay? So, then he said this to his soldiers who were surrounded. This is what he said. Men, we are surrounded by the enemy. We have the greatest opportunity ever presented to an army. We can attack in every direction. Isn't that great? That's great. And then there's another quote. By Captain Dick Winters, who commanded E-Company, Easy Company, of the 506th Regiment of the 101st Airborne, Airborne. Easy Company, maybe you've ever read the book, Band of Brothers, or watched that. That's the story of Easy Company. They were sent into the very most desperately difficult situation in the battle of the bulge to hold the ridge and someone said to him you know Dick you will be surrounded up there and his answer was we're paratroopers we're supposed to be surrounded we're paratroopers we're supposed to be surrounded I love those quotes confidence, courage, faith but see listen to me now Heroes are not people who live in denial. Uh Uh-uh. Heroes are people who see reality, but they see the reality many others do not see, but they see reality. What we need today, I would say, and I'd like to share it with you just for a few minutes, is a reality check. What do you see? What do you see? Now, if you have your eyes open at all, you know that we live in a very intimidating reality in our world and in our culture. It's a very intimidating reality. And as I say that, let's remember to pray for Charlottesville, Virginia, and pray for God's grace through his people and for peace there, law and order to be restored. The Syrians here were surrounding the people of God. And that should never be surprising to the people of God. As a matter of fact, Jesus, listen, Jesus, our commander in chief, told us we would be surrounded. What did he say? I, behold, I am sending you forth as lambs into the midst of what? Wolves. Jesus said, it's not only we should not be surprised that we're surrounded. He said, listen carefully, we're supposed to be surrounded. Jesus said, I want you to be in the world, but not of the world, but I want you to be in the world. When a person desires to pull himself out of contact with the world, when a Christian wants to go in in total, complete seclusion day after day after day from lost people, that Christian doesn't understand the will of God. We are to be in the world, but not of the world. We are the Lord's paratroopers. We're supposed to be surrounded And we're supposed to be surrounded so we can attack the enemy in every direction. Now here's what you have to be clear on, church. Who's the enemy? The enemy is not people. The enemy is not another political party that you may not support. That's not the enemy. The enemy is Satan and his kingdom of darkness. And we're to attack his kingdom. And how do we do that? We attack light with darkness, with light, and we attack hate with what? Love. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. There is no power on earth like the power of the love of God in Christ Jesus in a Christian's heart. And that's our power. Our power is not in a ballot box. Our power is not in a referendum. Our power for our kingdom, our Christ, while we're on this earth, is love. That's our power. Don't ever forget it. Never confuse what you're about as a citizen as being identical with what you're about as a follower of Jesus Christ. Look around. It is an intimidating reality. But now look around, folks. There's an invisible reality. There's an invisible reality. A reality check. What's the reality check? There's more that are with us than are with him. Who are we fighting? The prince of darkness. Who? Serves the prince of darkness. Who are his leaders? His demonic spirits. I remember the story of a missionary teaching new converts about angelic beings, demons and angels. And he said, you know, Satan revolted against the Lord and he pulled down a third of the angels. And one of the new Christians went, oh, and somebody in the back said, praise God. I said, what are you talking about? That means there's two angels for every devil. That's what that means. There are more with us than with them. What's the Bible say about angels? Listen, listen, teenagers. Listen, fourth and fifth graders. We're surrounded by aliens. Alien. Angelic aliens. Hebrews 2:14 Are they not all angels? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth, sent out to serve the sake of those who are to inherit salvation? That's who angels are. They are our servants. They are to be with us and help us. They are invisible, yet they're real, right? They're absolutely real. The unseen reality is the reality. The Bible says the things of this world are temporary, but the things that are not seen are what? Eternal. Eternal. Look around us. We need a reality check. Those that are for us are more than those are against us. Not only need to look around us, we need to look above us. We need to look above us. I said I'd be done by now. I lied. <laughs> I'll stand here down front now. I'll do penance, or <laughs> I ask for an indulgence. Ooh, okay, I shouldn't have done that. Okay, <laughs> bear with me just a minute. I want you to look above us at the inspiring reality. Now, you, you've got to turn there. You've got to turn there before you go. Hebrews 12, you've got to turn there. L- let me hear the pages turn. That's the wind of heaven, okay? Let me hear the Bible pages turn. Hebrews 12. What does it say? Hebrews chapter 12, page 1008 of the Bible provided, says, verse one, therefore, since we are what? Surrounded. By so great a cloud of witnesses. Who's that? That's the believers who've gone before us in chapter 11. And they've gone on to heaven. Now they are surrounding us. And now since we are surrounded, look around you, look above you. Now lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. Run with endurance the race that is set before us. Look around, look above. That's the reality. Have you, ever had, have you ever experienced someone cheering you on when you didn't think you could do it? Did you ever experience that? You know, from my childhood, I loved baseball. I don't know why I loved it. Crazy about baseball. Played it, played baseball competitively, From my childhood all the way up to my early college years, just loved it. But baseball could be intimidating. (laughs) Intimidating. You walk out there to the plate all by yourself. You're surrounded by your opponents. They're trash talking at you. Their fans are yelling at you. The pitcher is 60 feet, 6 inches away and he's throwing fastballs that look like aspirin tablets. It's intimidating. And I remember so well the last game I ever played in the Babe Ruth League. Now, Babe Ruth League was 13 to 15. Last game I ever played. I had been privileged to be on the all-star team all three years. Now we're in the city championship. It's the last time I'm ever going to be at bat in Babe Ruth. Two men on base We're playing for the championship. My final bat, all the trash talk was going. Star pitcher on the, on the mound. But also my, my teammates were saying, come on, Sam, you can do it. Coach saying, come on, come on, Sam, you can do it. You can do it. Our fans, come on, Polson, you can do it. And then I heard that voice from right behind the backstop. Beautiful, blonde-haired teenage girl. Susan, yeah, she said, you can do this, Sam. You can do this. And I want to tell you, it became a field of dreams moment. (laughs) I've never experienced anything like it. It was like everything just... That pitcher, his fastball looked like slow motion. That ball looked as big as a melon, and I crushed it. I just crushed it. It went over that right field fence. I think it's still circling the earth as a satellite. (laughs) I mean, I just crushed it, and and I, I got to experience again. The greatest experience there is in sports, I don't care what your sport is, the greatest experience in sport is to trot those bases when you've knocked one out of the ballpark. And I looked over, and everybody in our stands were standing to their feet, cheering, except three people. My dad, my uncle, and my oldest brother, they thought it would be bad manner to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but after the game, they hugged me. And I can still remember my dad's arm on my shoulder as we walked away, the old cleats clanking on the blacktop. Teammates, it's our time on the field Amen. look in the stands it's homecoming game there's the former players of our team up there in the stands they're cheering us on they're saying you can do this You can do this. We were there. God was faithful. He'll be faithful to you. You can do this. Folks, this isn't make-believe what I'm telling you. This is reality. But if you really want to be inspired, don't just look up in the stand. Look straight up. And what do you see? You see the captain of our team. Verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him, he despised the shame. He endured the cross. Now he is seated at the right hand. What is faith? Faith is looking to Jesus. Jesus. You'll never find faith looking at your heart. You'll never find faith looking to me or to some other teacher. You find faith when you look at the author of faith, Jesus Christ. And he'll sustain your faith even when your shoulders are slipped and you slipped and you stooped over and you don't think you can do it. He will sustain your faith. And folks, the ultimate reality is to live for what is real. What's real? What's real? Please don't say this to me. I I try to be a good Christian, but I'm not that good. People say, we know when to church. I, I know what you said at church, but you know, Pastor Sam, out here in the real world. Oh, don't you say that to me. That gives me a pain I can't locate. I, I might not be. I might not be sanctified when you say that to me. <laughs> real world. Real world. You think that's real? That's not real. This is real. Chapter twelve, verse twenty-two. This is what's real. But you, you have come to Mount Zion, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, the innumerable angels in festal gathering, to the assembly, that's the church, the righteous, old and new. Of the firstborn, the enrolled ones in heaven, your name's rolled there too. To God, the judge of all, and to the spirits who've gone before you, righteous men now made perfect, that's real. And we have to decide, folks, are we going to live for the mud pies of this world, as C.S. Lewis says, or are we going to live for majesty?